Everyone keeps asking me my recipe for living. It's simple as the ABCs and hardly seems worth giving. I've tried it out in every way, it always sees me through. It's made me what I am today. That's why I'm telling you, I'm a happy-go-lucky fellow. Full of podcasty free, <laughs> you can make the whole pod seem mellow, if you cast it in your stride like me. <laughs> that was such a nice long bit, I'm like, where's the word podcast coming in? <laughs> it is such a... Every song in this movie is extremely forgettable. Yeah. I wanted to do this one because it's like, it's the title song. It's where they say fun and fancy free. But man, like, I've listened to it 20 times today. I had to listen to it again just before it goes live. The second you hear it, it just leaves your brain. It's like, <laughs> it's butter music. It just slips out of there. I, yeah, I didn't remember how many songs there were in this. We were watching it and going... Wow, there's quite a few songs. I I knew there was like two. <laughs> I'll gun to your head. Can you name the title of one of them? Um, it can't be Fee Fi Fo Fum, the only song that's anything. <laughs> um, um, I'm trying to think of the uh, the one that she's that the harp sings when she's putting the giant to sleep. Sorry, you're dead. Ah, <laughs> you've been shot. <laughs> The Fifi Fofum song is the only one that has anything to it, and I thought about doing that, but like it's barely a song, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fifi Fofum. Hee hi ho hum. I'm the most amazing guy. A most amazing guy am I. And that's it. Yep. That's yep. that's, that's it. the best part. I mean, that's all yeah. you need. A most amazing pod am cast. <laughs> Let's start the show! Everybody and welcome to Me, Mom, and the Mouse, a podcast about the joy of watching cartoons with your family. We're watching every film in the Disney animated canon and talking about how it was made, what it means, and why we love it, or don't, or basically completely forgot it. <laughs> my name is Isaac Coleman, and I'm joined, as always, by my mother, Rue Coleman. Hello, and how are you doing today, Isaac? Oh, I'm great. Who wouldn't be enthused to talk about this movie? <laughs> It's so fun and fancy free. Indeed it is. <laughs> 1947's Fun and Fancy Free, we are continuing the wartime era, aka Shorts Hell. <laughs> the era of collections of wartime shorts and package films, and, you know, some of them hit, some of them miss, yeah. some of them hit and miss. Yeah, it's true. This film was directed by Jack Kinney, Bill Roberts, Hamilton Luska, and William Morgan. The latter directing the live-action segments. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all for me, Mom and the Mouse. Join us <laughs> next week. I think there's a few more things we could say about the movie. Maybe just one or two. Mom, what does this movie mean to you? Well, I will admit, I didn't actually see this movie as a whole movie until the first time we watched it with you and your brother, which I don't know, what was that like? 10 years ago or so. <laughs> I didn't even remember that we had watched it. We checked it out from the library once. Okay. Yeah. Probably more than 10 years then. Quite a while. And I couldn't remember exactly when, how old you guys were, but I know we watched it with both of you. 
it was long enough ago that you were smaller. And that was the first time I had ever seen it all as one thing. So I don't really have a lot of uh, nostalgia for the whole thing. However, I've seen Mickey and the Beanstalk a ton of times. And that part's great. Do you have any specific memories of watching or associations with Mickey and the Beanstalk? Because for the record, I'm with you. I've seen that part a ton of times. Didn't even remember that we'd seen the movie. Definitely Bongo the Bear. (laughs) Zero memory. I will say, I think I had the story of Bongo in a Disney picture book. We had a book when I was growing up that was a bunch of Disney stories. So it had a bunch of like the stories from shorts and things, but just in one big picture book. And I think I had Bongo in that. So I always tend to think of it from that more than from this You know, there's no music, actually, of course, in that version I'm used to. Right. Whenever I see Mickey and the Beanstalk in this movie, I always feel like something is missing because I'm obviously trying to remember something from a version that I'm used to. And I can't even put my finger on what it is. I'd have to track down one of those other versions and watch them. But Mm -hmm. it's just a lot of fun, you know. Yeah. I I don't remember when I saw Mickey and the Beanstalk for the first time, nor do I have any specific associations with it. I've just kind of always known that this is one of the great Mickey Mouse shorts. Mm -hmm. And watching it again, you know, it's just, it's like coming back to an old friend. There's so much stuff that I remembered, like slicing the bread. Yes. (laughs) There's a lot of iconic animation in that. Yeah. And there's also the rest of the movie. (laughs) Just a total waste of time. (laughs) So yeah, later on, we'll talk about the different versions of Mickey and the Beanstalk, and maybe that will spark what's missing for you. But first, let's talk about the background of this movie, which I think, especially if you've been listening to the podcast up to this point, it's pretty much exactly what you would expect, you know? Yeah. It's a cheap thing they rushed out, but there's a little more to it. Which is that both of these segments actually started in the 1930s. Mickey and the Beanstalk was developed at the same time as Brave Little Taylor and The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Mm -hmm. which of course we talked about in our Fantasia episode, as part of this package deal to make Mickey Mouse popular again, because he was trailing in popularity Mm -hmm. behind Goofy and Donald and a lot of the Warner Brothers characters, like the more obviously funny characters, I think. Yeah. The ones who are more kind of anarchic and over the top. And Walt really wanted Mickey to be successful because that was his character. And his argument that he actually made in a story meeting for Mickey and the Beanstalk is that Mickey is like Harold Lloyd. In that he's funny because he gets into funny situations and he's just kind of the everyman reacting to them. Ah. That was his take on Mickey. He was actually kind of resistant to Mickey and the Beanstalk at first because he thought it was too out there and fantastical and not really in keeping with the characters, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me when you think about like the Sorcerer's Apprentice. (laughs) Where it's like, oh yeah, what we all know about Mickey is he's a Sorcerer's Apprentice. Right, right. Yen Sid. We all know Yen Sid. Uh 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 So I don't know. But for some reason he had a problem with this one and then he didn't. My research is as thorough as ever, as you can tell. It's actually hard to find a bunch of stuff on this one. It's There's not a lot out there. This movie does not exist. In the parlance of, you know, like the Blank Check podcast of a movie not existing being a movie that nobody talks about, left no cultural impact, is not interesting. Yeah. This is absolutely that. But 
They they started working on it. It was really led by animators Bill Cottrell and T. He, who we've talked about before, because how can you not talk about a man whose name is T. He? I know. They were trying to make it into a full-length feature film called The Legend of Happy Valley. At the same time, they also were developing a movie based on the Sinclair Lewis story, Little Bear Bongo which was published in 1930 in Cosmopolitan magazine. Now, Sinclair Lewis, for anyone who doesn't know, is a pretty famous, kind of more famous in his own time than he is now, American writer and novelist who was very much anti-capitalist and, frankly, pretty anti-American. He got a Nobel Prize for Literature, and in his Nobel Prize speech... He said that America is the most contradictory, the most depressing, the most stirring of any land in the world today. (laughs) And he said of the literary establishment, Our American professors like their literature clear and cold and pure and very dead. (laughs) And said that in America, most of us, not readers alone, but even writers, are still afraid of any literature which is not a glorification of everything American, a glorification of our faults as well as our virtues. So, you know, that's that's his perspective. Yeah. He's best known now for It Can't Happen Here, which is a dystopian novel about what if a U.S. dictator similar to Adolf Hitler gained power in the U.S., which was recently on Amazon's list of best-selling books in the aftermath of the 2016 United States presidential election for some reason. So basically, he was right about everything, 100% all of the time. Yeah. Little Bear Bongo was actually a children's story. And in the story, it's definitely darker than the movie. Now, I really wanted to track down the actual story and read it. If any of our commenters, like, have an in to actually find the story, please let me know. Please send it to me. I'm at Last Space Marine on Twitter. (laughs) But I couldn't find it. What I could find was a synopsis of it. And some, like, writing about it at the time. I I wondered if there would be a satirical edge to the story that is not in the movie, considering who wrote it. Lewis says that there isn't. That he just, like, wanted to write something that was fun and silly for kids. Yeah. And that, that... is Disney's argument as well, because at the time he was asked, you know, like, oh, why is Mm -hmm. Walt Disney, you know, developing a movie based on a Sinclair Lewis story? And he was like, oh, well, you know, this one is silly. This one doesn't, you know, have anything to do with his other work. But I have to wonder. So in the short story, you know, it's the same basic idea at first. Bongo is a brown bear that is trained to mimic humans and do acrobatic tricks. (laughs) And he's in a circus. He accidentally is thrown from his cage into the wilderness. He -hmm. spends a year attempting to befriend the wild bears, and they don't like him. He is attracted to a female bear whose name is Silver Ear in the story, but he completely fails to woo her. Like, she has no interest in him whatsoever. (laughs) Lumpjaw isn't really a villain as much as, you know, just... That's the guy she's actually interested in. (laughs) That's funny. But she's the one who drives him away more than Lumpjaw. (laughs) And he's just sad. And he eventually finds a new circus, gets a job there, meets another female circus bear, falls in love with her instead. And that's the end. I see. So, like, this is why I want to read the story, because I can see how this might be a story that's about, like, I don't know, civilized Americans trying to tame the people they see as not civilized and like getting totally rejected by them or I don't know I feel Mm. like there might be an edge to this story 
beyond just it being a funny story about bears, but I can't actually say. Who knows? I couldn't find it either. Anyway, Disney acquires this because it's about a talking animal and he just, anyone wrote anything about a talking animal, he was buying it in the 30s. (laughs) And they started developing that into a movie as well. They actually thought about making it a sequel to Dumbo, or at least a spiritual sequel. I actually saw one that said a a prequel. Interesting. Like, using some of the same circus characters, like it could have been, you know, he's in the same circus with the same ringmaster or whatever, but not with Dumbo being in it. Interesting. Like, maybe he was the star of the circus before Dumbo came along. (laughs) I didn't find anything about that. I did find something about how he was going to have a chimpanzee as his best friend, whose name was Chimpy. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) So both of these stories, the Bongo movie that was always just going to be called Bongo, and the Mickey, Donald, and Goofy do Jack and the Beanstalk movie that was going to be called Legend of Happy Valley. The Legend of Happy Valley, by the way, sounds like it could have been a very interesting movie. They had 50 minutes of animation developed for it already. And like Minnie Mouse was going to be the queen and also the one who gives him the beans. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of interesting other ideas involved. Yeah. Also, it was going to be weirdly like a Disney cinematic universe because Mickey was going to have to deal with Honest John and Gideon. (laughs) I saw that that was a potentially alternate way for him to get the beans. Like, yes, they tricked him into selling the cow for beans. But then why would the beans have been magic? You know, I think the order is like they had that. And then, as you say, why would the beans be magic? So then they're like, well, maybe Minnie gives them to him and it's Minnie's magic harp. Yeah. I don't know. I would actually have not minded seeing that movie. Yeah. And both of these movies were supposed to be something on the level of Dumbo. They were supposed to be cheapo. You know, obviously the animation for these things that we see in the finished project is very cheap and a lot of stuff is reused. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, World War II happens. The government takes over their studio and we all know what happens there. If you don't, listen to the podcast. <laughs> After Make My Music has come out in the first few package films, work starts on Cinderella. And basically, Walt goes, I don't want to make the cheap Dumbo-esque films anymore. Yeah. I want to make something on the level of our Snow Whites and our Bambies and these epic, gorgeous fairy tale productions again. Yep. And we will just, everything we've already worked on, we're not making any of these things into movies. We're going to keep making package films. Those are doing all right for us. We need to get down our debt. Yeah, got to have some way to get money <laughs> so that you can do what you really want to do. Because at this point, Walt Disney Productions had $4.2 million in bank debt, which is $56 million today adjusted for inflation. That's a lot. It's not a small amount. (laughs) So while this movie is being made and when it is released, work on Cinderella is starting. And the goal of the next several package films is make enough money that we can make Cinderella. (laughs) On that note, this movie is a success because it gets the bank debt from $4.2 million to $3 million. There you go. And again, Disney's like, okay, you know, that's one million down. Now we got to make another <laughs> package movie and that's another million and we'll make another and that's another million and we'll make Cinderella. Yeah. But there is no interest in continuing to develop the Happy Valley or Bongo. So they cut them down to what you termed mediums because <laughs> they're not exactly shorts, but they cut them down to each be half of a movie length, use the existing animation 
They, of course, bring on Dinah Shore, who we talked about last week, and Edgar Bergen to be the big name stars to help people like watch the movie. Yeah. Um, they do the new stuff with Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> My arch nemesis. <laughs> who they were really trying to make. I don't know. I guess he'd been popular in Pinocchio and they were trying to make him an even more popular character. Like he'll go on to narrate several shorts and yeah. be in stuff. Despite being as noted in our Pinocchio episode, the devil. <laughs> This creepy drifter who leads a child astray. Everyone was like, yes, we love him. We love the criminal (laughs) cricket. Yeah, let's have more adventures of him creeping into people's houses. Yeah, so they tied all these elements together, pooped about. That's fun and fancy free. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, we have some more of the live action animation mix. A little bit, a very tiny. It's really more like... You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it'll be a shot of Edgar Bergen and the little girl and everything. And then it will be a different shot on a different set of like a table that Jiminy, Jiminy Cricket. Cricket is on. Yeah. Most yeah, of they the didn't, time. They didn't do as much. It's kind of like why even bother, frankly, but I don't know. At the time, movie was not particularly well reviewed. Bosley Crowther of the New York Times kind of liked it. He said that within the familiar framework of the Walt Disney story cartoon, that magical gentleman and his associates have knocked out a gay and colorful show. Nothing brave and inspired, but just plain happy. Yeah, I guess I can see that. I mean, it is trying to be just plain happy. Yep. But most of the other reviews from the time are like, this is lazy and cheap. I got to call out the New Yorker review that said that Walt Disney, who seems to have been aiming for mediocrity in his recent productions, has not even hit his mark with this film. Ooh. Just devastating. (laughs) (laughs) One interesting thing, looking at the reviews of the time, people liked Bongo much more than Mickey and the Beanstalk. Which is very strange. Yeah, because it's bad. (laughs) I would le- say less that it's bad than that it's boring. It, I would say boring is bad. <laughs> it, and it certainly hasn't had the staying power. Although part of that, interestingly, is that Bongo was seen as kind of mature. <laughs> for some reason, the romantic elements of Bongo were seen as too much for kids. And I'm not sure why, because obviously, like many of the Disney stories have had romances. Yeah. Is it because the girl bear is naked? I have no idea. I mean, in Bambi, they're all naked. (laughs) (gasps) But for whatever reason, I don't know, it seems mature. So like in the little golden book, they're just friends, Bongo and Lulu Bell. And like they they (laughs) specifically didn't do as many adaptations because the romance was for some reason seen as too much. Weird. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. That doesn't make sense. But the beanstalk section is clearly what had the staying power. Yeah. And what is still beloved today. Yeah. And if you say that you like Bongo better now, you're lying. (laughs) You're a freak. I'm sorry. So that's basically it. I mean, I guess the other interesting thing is that this was the last time that Walt would voice Mickey Mouse. Except for, I guess, a couple times on the Mickey Mouse Club show. Yeah, but this is... But yeah, basically the last time. Uh, Yeah, I think on the Mickey Mouse Club show... He's not doing the voice, he just, like, says the intro in Mickey's voice. I'm not sure. I didn't see anything that said which specific bit he did on the Mickey Mouse Club show. That's what I But hey, the Mickey Mouse Club show is now on Disney+, Plus. maybe we should watch it. (laughs) Mm, 
maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> but with with an asterisk, I mean, this is the last time, really, that he voices Mickey Mouse. And the reason for yeah. that is he destroyed his throat with smoking. Oh, well. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Should we talk about the movie now? I guess. <laughs> the first thing I gotta say is... um. Mom's status on this one is not applicable. Yeah. I worked real hard to try to figure out some way to work in a mom status, but everything was just a bit too far of a reach. Really try, just tried to wring something out of this movie. I did. Oh There's well. Nothing here for you. Nope. No mom status. No mom status. But a lot of opening credits. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's getting a credit, including both uh, Charlie McCarthy, who is a puppet, and Mortimer Snurd, who is a puppet. However, Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse, and Jiminy, Jiminy Cricket, Cricket are credited, but not Goofy. That is also true. Isn't that weird? Okay, so the billing order for this movie, I have it pulled up. Walt Disney presents uh-huh. Edgar Bergen and Dinah Shore in uh-huh. Fun and Fancy Free in Technicolor. Yep. Starring Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, Luanna Patton, who is the little girl who will also be in next week's movie. Mm-hmm. She was a Disney... Well, it's not the Disney Channel yet. No, she was just a Disney stable child star. She was in several Disney things at this time. Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse, Jiminy Jiminy Cricket. Cricket. No Uh Goofy. You're right. Goofy goofy. gets stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Then with the talents of Anita Gordon. Who's the harp? Cliff Edwards. That's Jiminy Jiminy Cricket. Cricket. Despite my loathing of Jiminy, Jiminy, I have to make Cliff Edwards like a good voice actor and a good singer. And kind of the reason I think people connect with that character is because of Cliff Edwards. I think so, too. Billy Gilbert, who is the giant. I'd love to do a sidebar on Billy Gilbert because he was also sneezy. (laughs) As As we discussed there, he was a vaudeville performer whose main thing was sneezing. And I didn't realize until we were looking him up for this movie. He was also in like, he's in A Night at the Opera, the Marx Brothers movie. He's in like a lot of 40s comedies. Uh And here he's Willie, who may be the breakout character. (laughs) So I mean, good on him. Clarence Nash. Who is Donald Duck, of course. The King's Men. Singers, yes. A group, uh, they're a spy organization. They wear suits. (laughs) They're British. They're violently misogynistic. Oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. That's that's the King's men, not the King's men. <laughs> the Dinning sisters, who are probably also singing. Yeah. Uh, and the Starlighters, who I'm guessing are also singing. I thought on that list was also Pinto Kolvig. Nope. Oh. I mean, I'm looking at the credits right now. I believe you. I thought I'd seen his name on the list, and now I'm like, I guess not. So neither Goofy nor Pinto Kolvig. Huh. I wonder what that's about. That is weird. See on another page? Next page is like the crew, you know, director of Mm -hmm. photography, live action director, film editor, somebody who's just listed as associate. (laughs) I don't know what that's about. Still, it's a lot more uh, credits than we've had on anything yet. Yep. Then the writers, then the people involved with the music, then animators, 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 animators. Production supervisor Ben Sharpstein, directors. There you go. No Pinto Colvin. That's very strange. Poor guy. There's probably some. I bet that has something to do with like the union contracts and maybe Maybe he didn't didn't. have one. I don't know. Who knows? It's very odd. He's in it though. Yeah. (laughs) Boy, we sure are talking about the credits a lot. That'll show you how (laughs) thrilling... This cinematic experience is... Yeah. A discussion of the opening credits. 
Okay, so we get the title song. Yep, fun and fancy free over the titles. Followed by I'm a happy-go-lucky fellow, which I sang. With Jiminy Cricket. Which is a song that was actually written for Pinocchio, but cut because it's not good. (laughs) And uh, then they brought it back for this. Well, you know, this movie is very much a, what have we got lying around? Yeah, this is a dumping ground. I mean, (laughs) objectively, that's what it is. Even uh, when Jiminy Cricket is exploring this random house he's invaded. Yes, yes, let's let's take a moment. So Jiminy Cricket, <laughs> he's sitting on a flower or something in the water, and he's singing this terrible song. And the whole song is about, don't think about anything, just have right. fun. Right, Which I guess is the theme they're trying to structure this movie around. Well, and I also think about the war is over now. World War II is over, so it's like... Try not, don't, don't worry about anything anymore. Just relax. Right. This is a theme of a lot of 40s movies. A movie I really, really like, Sullivan's Travels. From 1941, so technically six years earlier, but it is about this. It is about like what people want, you know, after the war and the depression and everything is funnier movies. And it's a movie specifically about like the value comedy has to people when they're really struggling and Mm -hmm. how, you know, lighthearted movies were. It's not just a trend during this time, but kind of important for people so they could escape the horrors of everyday life. This song is just a little too saccharine, though. No, this song sucks. It's trying too hard. Right. It takes it farther from, like, let's try to be happy to... I mean, the the part that really stands out is, like, when he's on the books, and they all have titles like Misery for the Masses. (laughs) And he's talking about, like, now some folks like the heavy stuff with titles five feet wide. Not me, I'm always out for fun. I like the lighter side. Yes, sir. (laughs) And it's, you know, there's a balance. Yeah, yeah. And don't think about him being a conscience when he's talking about that stuff. Yeah, (laughs) again, not for nothing, eh? He's not actually in a lake, by the way. I forgot about this. It looks like he's in a lake, but he's just in a fishbowl in this library, in this house. It's it's like a plant thing. And there is a a fish in this house, and the fish looks exactly like Cleo from Pinocchio. Oh, imagine that. (laughs) However, the cat does not look like Figaro. No. It's just some random cat that chases him into a different room. Which, you know, maybe it's actually an incisive meta-commentary about how, like, if you don't ever want to think about the bad things in the world, you're going to get attacked by a cat. I don't know. There's there's nothing in this movie. There's nothing at all. Uh, He does go on for quite a while about how everybody worries too much and there's a lot of bad news in the paper. Then he finally gets to where there's this couple of toys a doll and a bear creepy doll creepy looking Spooky doll. doll yes they're evil, both looking evil, ex- wretched. extremely sad and depressed these these dolls and toys but they and don't is... they're not alive no they're not they just look sad and also we must note that jiminy, jiminy cricket, cricket is romantically interested in the creepy doll Yep, flirting with dolls again. Why is this part of this character? Everyone remembers Jiminy Cricket. He's the sage conscience. He sings the beautiful Wish Upon a Star song. He's a creep. He's a weirdo. <laughs> this this podcast is an expose. Uh... This is we're doing cereal for Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> oh, there you go. He's a monster and he must be brought to justice. Yeah, because he's the one who puts the record of Bongo on. Yeah. (laughs) His worst crime. 
<laughs> to cheer up the doll and the bear. Right, he's he's like, oh, you know, this will be fun. Bongo, a musical story sung by Dinah Shore. And there's this happens later too. There's something a little weird about about Disney characters like saying celebrity names. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you think of Jiminy, Jiminy Cricket, Cricket, you know, as a monster, of course. Uh, but <laughs> you know, in his fantasy world with Pinocchio uh-huh, uh-huh. and all this stuff, and here he is, like talking about like, oh, Dinah Shore and Edgar Bergen. <laughs> you know, like he's in the real world, and it's like, I don't know. It's just weird. Although, of course, when he gets to that point, he's like, Edgar Bergen? Like, who is that? Right. (laughs) To me, it's just an illustration of, like, these movies, and I'm positive on many of the wartime films, more so than most. Last week, Mm -hmm. I mounted a spirited defense of Make Mine Music. Yes. But they do lack that magic. Mm -hmm. You really are getting the, you know, the the leavings of (laughs) actual movies, of a studio that could make really good beautiful stories and stuff and this one even more i think than any of the others we've watched so far feels like that yeah it's funny that make my music is the one that's not on disney plus and this one is right i i would challenge anyone to say that this is better than make my music other than i don't know i mean mickey and the beanstalk the second half right well, we're not there yet. Instead, it's Bongo. This section is so boring. Part of this, we were watching it pretty late at night when we watched it together, at least from my perspective, but I truly was falling asleep. <laughs> and so I don't have a lot of notes, but Bongo, he's a circus bear. There are a few funny bits, I thought, at the very at this beginning section where it shows him being in the circus. It talks about his act, and one of the things he does is plunge into a I can't remember how, like, 500 feet or whatever into a damp sponge. That did make me laugh. That is one of my favorite jokes in cartoons is when somebody dives into a ridiculously tiny amount of water. And damp sponge is a good good addition to that genre. The other thing that cracked me up is the circus being sucked into the train at the when it's moving on and it just like sucks the whole thing in and then when they arrive at the new location it like out of the train like a balloon being blown up in what is uh clearly just animation that they flipped yeah but it's still funny looking it is still funny this beginning of this short is surprisingly depressing because we've sat through you know maybe eight minutes at the beginning of this of like be happy never think about anything that's not happy and then it's a very depressing opening and it makes you think of dumbo which is itself kind of a depressing movie even not knowing when we watched this that this was conceived as being connected to dumbo the parallels are obvious yeah because he's like as soon as his act is over he is clapped in irons and (laughs) thrown into his cage where he is miserable yes And, like, the whole circus is miserable, and his only solace is daydreaming occasionally of something else. Yeah. He hates his life, and he wants to die. (laughs) He wants to escape anyway. This is yet another instance of the despair. (laughs) And I'm like, fun and fancy free, happy-go-lucky guy. Put on a coat and have a time, whatever that (laughs) song is. (laughs) So he's in this cage, in the train, they're going off. He hears the call of the wild, quote unquote, which is a ghostly version of himself calling his name countless times. Bongo. Bongo, bongo, bongo. It's very strange. It is. He's losing his mind. 
Yes. He's losing his grip, I think Dinosaur says. He has depression. Let him live. Yes, Dinosaur is narrating this whole thing in rhyming fashion. Yes. With a few songs interspersed. But he does end up escaping from the train on his unicycle, because everybody needs a method of transportation when they go off into the wilderness. Yep. (laughs) You gotta take it from here. This is where I was asleep. Ah, well, so here's where we have many scenes of Bongo being bad at being a bear. Right. He can't climb a tree. He can't climb a tree. can't figure out how to do stuff. All the other little ant critters are laughing at him and making fun of him. There are two chipmunks who look and act just like Chippendale, early Chippendale, before they looked different and pretty much before they had names. Yeah, this was this was Dippin' Chale, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. This was like at the grocery store checkout line. Grandma's eyes aren't too good anymore. She tries to get the one that every boy wants, but instead she gets these two Dippin' Chale. <laughs> I'm not sure if this would have been am- animated first or if the first Chippendale cartoon would have been animated first because the short that had these two chipmunks in it came out before Fun and Fancy Free, but Bongo had work done on it much earlier, right? So I'm just not sure which concept came first, but that is how these two chipmunks used to look originally. They looked identical, but they acted just like that. And so... I'm not sure Chicken which came first. Egg, but that's exactly, what's going on exactly. Here. That's totally what's going on. But even though Bongo is bad at being a bear, we have a song, Lazy Countryside, as he just wanders around. I did kind of like this song. I can understand it making you feel sleepy, though. <laughs> it's a it's pretty very sleepy chill. song. I, I could put that on like a chill playlist. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Dinah Shore is good. She's oh, good as a narrator here. She's having a lot of fun and like yes. trying to put emotion in her voice. And like there's one part where she's pouting and sticking out her lip to show that something is sad. And- yeah, that's the next morning after Bongo's really hard night because he can't figure out how to sleep in the noise of the forest bongo was discouraged (laughs) yes and hungry so he tries to go catch a fish enter the girl he does meet the girl who in this is called lulu bell though you don't get her name for a while which i thought was odd and you know what it's just too good to be true (laughs) it's true that's the next song too good to be true here we have yet another sequence that is of a dream sequence, kind of like Fantasia. Right, with all the daydreaming stuff at the beginning, and then this song that's a dream sequence, and all like, love is too good to be true, too good to be true, over and over again, I was like, is the twist of this gonna be that it's all a dream, and he's still in his weird <laughs> cage? Is that what's going on here? No, it was not what was going on, but I can see how you would be concerned. Obviously, I didn't remember any of this, and <laughs> this, you know, as soon as we're done recording this podcast, I will forget it all again. Quite likely. Oh, I forgot to mention that when they first meet and they touch noses, their noses become a heart. And for whatever reason, that always cracks me up. Too mature. Yeah, too mature. Oh, no. Right C-17, they're kissing. touching noses. Bear kisses, I guess. I don't know. Kids, never kiss anyone. <laughs> never show affection. Don't touch noses because that's where germs are. <laughs> if you do, Jiminy Cricket will find you. He will break into your house and he will have a romantic interest in your toys. <laughs> now that's creepy. That's very creepy. And, that, <laughs> and an accurate description of what the character has done in two movies now. There are cute bears in the song. There's these cute Cupid bears. Yes, the cute little Cupid bears. I almost forgot about them. I wish the story was about them. Mm-hmm. I would like to know their day-to-day happenings. 
shooting people with heart-shaped arrows. Yeah. I'm sorry, shooting other bears with heart-shaped arrows. <laughs> so then there's other bears appear after the song ends, because there are more bears in the forest than just Lulu Bell, apparently. And one of them, the biggest, meanest, baddest bear of them all, is Lumpjaw, whose name I kept misunderstanding when they would say it and thought they were saying Lockjaw. Yeah, I also, I mean, I literally wrote down my notes Lockjaw. So we were watching this on Disney Plus again, because uh, I'm not buying this. But <laughs> at first, in the captions, I had the captions on, it said Lockjaw. Huh. And then later it said Lumpjaw, which is actually correct. Yes. And that's the name from the Sinclair Lewis story, which is when I, researching that is when I realized, oh, it was actually Lumpjaw. That wasn't just a one-time typo. <laughs> but that means the other one was a one-time typo. It's true. Because I heard Lockjaw as well. And I was like, is that right? I should note also, just for fun, we were watching this on Disney Plus and we were using for the first time the group watch feature. Yeah, that new group watch feature. Which is a feature they implemented in 2020 that will be old news by the time people are listening. It's kind of old news now, but we <laughs> hadn't used it before. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it's okay. For what it is, it's pretty good. There were minimal hiccups. Mm -hmm. But you can react with emojis to different scenes <laughs> when you're in a group watch. <laughs> I was having much more fun with this than I was watching the movie. Like the second Jiminy <laughs> Cricket comes on screen, I was just spamming the angry emoji over <laughs> and over. Yeah. That is a truly terrible feature they never should have included because <laughs> I will use it to ruin any movie we watch on the platform. <laughs> Can't wait till we're watching Soul together and I'm just going to be a total menace. <laughs> I like Lumpjaw tearing through rocks and trees whenever he walks anywhere. Just he is like they're, very like they're bad on the forest. Bongo is bad as a bear. Like he doesn't know how to behave like a wild bear. But Lumpjaw is like a force of destruction. He just levels forests wherever he walks. Exactly. Causing massive climate change. Lumpjaw is not very happy that Lulubel and Bongo seem to be getting along. Bongo tries to distract him by showing his press cuttings that apparently he carries with him everywhere he goes in his circus jacket. Solid bit. Look at how famous I am. <laughs> The New Yorker said that I aspired to mediocrity and missed the mark. <laughs> and Lulu Bell starts beating up on Bongo. She slaps him. Multiple times. It was very surprising. And Bongo, his heart is broken. He doesn't understand what is going on. And Lulu Bell's like, dude, what? why are you not responding? Because, of course, as we're finally told by Dinah Shore... When bears like each other, they say it with a slap. Yeah, I, we got to get to that. But first, it should be known that while just wailing on Bongo, <laughs> she does miss one and True. hit Lumpjaw. She hits Lumpjaw, who's like... Falls in love with her, grabs her, carries her off with the other bears. Yep. That's how this scene ends, and that sets up the next thing. Which is the Say It With A Slap song. Yeah, it's <laughs> very bad also, I think. Yeah. I don't think it's a very good song. And it's a very strange idea. This is nowhere to be found in the original story. Well, that's what I was wondering about. Is this a thing from the original story or not? I mean, caveat that obviously I couldn't read it, but based on everything I did read, <laughs> it does not seem to be a part of it. Obviously, this has nothing to do with actual behaviors of bears. Correct, yes. And... All right, I got to put on my downer SJW hat here for a second. 
having a whole song and a whole short about love with a slap, and I'm not the first person to make this observation, in a time when there was rampant, rampant domestic abuse, I don't think that's what they're trying to say here, but it's not a good association. No, it's not a good association. I'm sure their only point was, we need to make some misunderstanding. What can we do? Yes, I totally believe that, 100%. I do think that it's just like totally lazy writing yep yeah but agreed it's it's not a it's not a good message you want to be sending yes that's exa- that is exactly it and i can see kids watching this provided they remain awake and aren't like playing with toys or <laughs> in the background or something slapping each other and then being like oh you know this is how you show love like oh yeah oh totally trying to get away with fighting with your sibling or whatever you know that's what i'm saying if Isaiah and i had seen this as kids we'd be beating on each other we're like no it's a big thing hundred <laughs> percent bad message for kids yeah however it takes a long time for bongo to get it they have a whole song and dance number he has to listen to the whole song and dance and only then does he start going hey wait a minute <laughs> yeah idiot idiot bear stupid foolish bear yep ignorant very So then he's like, oh, she slapped me. Oh, so of course he goes racing back to fight Lumpjaw for Lulubelle. And they have a big fight. Lumpjaw is even worse for the forest. (laughs) He just destroys everything in his path. He uh, he starts mining Bitcoin. (laughs) Founds a couple of major tech conglomerates. It's just, it's really awful, Lumpjaw. What are you doing to the environment? So bad. They end up in the water, in a river, you know, it's just back and a lot of back and forth fighting. One thing in this fight is the buzzsaw unicycle. Oh, yes, I forgot about that. (laughs) I I think this fight is the best sequence of this short and the buzzsaw unicycle specifically. I was like, okay, there's some life to this. Like this is, this is a fun visual idea. Yep. Somebody, I think Lumpjaw like runs over three other bears and they're instantly turned into bearskin rugs. Yes. We both laughed at that. That was funny. But yeah, they go into the water. Lumpjaw's flushed down the waterfall. Bongo is a hero. I guess these bears haven't really seemed to have any displeasure with Lumpjaw before. Yeah, because they were just having a big party to celebrate his getting together with Lulubel. And now, whatever, he's gone now. We'll have a party to celebrate Bongo. New king! (laughs) The king is dead. Long live the king. Yeah. And then Bongo and Lulubel slap each other, which again... It just reads weird. Yep. We get a reprise of Too Good to Be True. And they climb trees and it turns into a tree heart. It's kind of a nice final shot. And then we are blessedly over with. And I have to say one other thing about watching this. Uh-huh. In general, mm-hmm. within it's a movie I haven't seen before. I try not to do any research or look anything up about it beforehand. Yeah. Just, you know, so I can have that like first time experience. Yeah. So I didn't realize there were only two shorts in this. So one other thing about Bongo is that as it was going on, I'm like, hey, this is so long. When will it end? And I had to be explained like, no, this is going to be like 30 minutes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. If you haven't watched this movie, think about how little time we just spent explaining the plot. Mm-hmm. And now realize that that's... 13 minutes. Yeah. And now we're back to the evil cricket. (laughs) The doll and the bear are smiling together now. And they're like leaning on each other like they're kissing? Or like they're, yeah, like like they're in love now or something. And so Jiminy's like, oh, I don't want to be a third wheel. And he leaves. (laughs) It's like, what is this movie implying? But then 
there's a party invite. Yeah. This animated home that they're in is apparently the animated home <laughs> of Luana Padden. Yeah. Who is playing herself and the card is addressed to her. It is. She is across the street in the live action home <laughs> of Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. And Mortimer Snurd. 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 Let's talk about Edgar Bergen. Okay. Because it's... Amazing to me that one of the big names, they're like, oh, yes, what will bring people into the seats to come see a Disney movie Mm -hmm. in 1947? A ventriloquist. Yeah. (laughs) There was a whole, you know, I've been watching, re-watching, re-re-re-watching some Marx Brothers movies recently with this set that has a lot of cool bonus features. And it's, of course, talking about like their vaudeville roots. And it's like, man... Bring back vaudeville and bring back <laughs> vaudeville performers. Bring back ventriloquists and jugglers and guys whose deal was just they sneezed. <laughs> In an amusing manner. Yes. The modern day equivalent of that is when like a YouTuber gets a movie. Yeah. Not the same. But Edgar Bergen, he was uh, the child of Swedish immigrants. So, you know, first generation American. <laughs> was born Edgar John Bergren. With an extra G and an extra R. I see. He kind of always had an interest in ventriloquism, so much so that he was noticed by a famous ventriloquist at the time named Harry Lester, Mm -hmm. who started giving him personal lessons. Nice. In 1919, he paid a woodcarver he knew to sculpt a likeness of a rascally red-headed Irish newspaper boy he knew. (laughs) And this was Charlie McCarthy. I see. And of course, Edgar Bergen, he did some like, you know, stage shows and stuff. He was honing his act for a while. He was on vaudeville. He worked in some movie shorts, but he became popular on the Chase and Sanborn Hour, which was a radio show. Mm -hmm. And... He and Charlie were by far the most popular parts of the radio show. (laughs) Which is a funny thing to think about, a ventriloquist on a radio show. There's a great line in the Wikipedia page. Not that, you know, Wikipedia is the only thing I look at, but I have to share this specifically. The popularity of a ventriloquist on radio, when one could see neither the dummies nor his skills, surprised and puzzled many critics then and now. (laughs) Even knowing that Bergen provided the voice, listeners perceived Charlie as a genuine person. That's so funny. And then they got their own radio show, The Charlie McCarthy Show, sponsored (laughs) by Coca-Cola. Alrighty. And it was very popular. And then, yeah, and after that, you know, they had some more movie and television appearances. But he really was a ventriloquist who became popular on the radio. (laughs) Which is part of why in this movie, and frankly, many of his other live action appearances, you can see his lips moving because... When he was working on the radio, even though he did bring the puppets to the recording studio, which is the strangest part of the whole thing for me, (laughs) he had to enunciate more, especially if you listen to these old radio recordings, like, you know, obviously, you and I now both have microphone setups in our homes that are beyond the best of the best of the best at the time. But in those crackly old radio recordings, he had to move his lips more to enunciate more. And so in his live action appearances, you can mostly see him moving his lips. And yet his dummies, his characters are performed so well that you have to really think about watching his lips because you just want to watch the dummies. Right. This is what I wanted to say. I think he really was 
an incredible performer. And I totally agree with that. Like in this movie, which was one of his first big film appearances after being this radio star. Yeah. He was he was the perfect level of celeb big enough to that people know his name and care about him, uh-huh. but small enough that Disney can afford him. <laughs> yeah, in a movie designed to just make money. Right. So he talked about watching this performance afterwards and being like, oh man, I'm moving my lips all over that thing. <laughs> but it's true. You know, I noticed it, but it didn't bother me. And I didn't notice it most of the time, even though it happens in every scene he's in, because he's just so good with the puppets. And like, he's so funny, it doesn't matter. Right, definitely. And one funny thing, you know, while researching this, I ended up just going down a rabbit hole of watching Edgar Berg and <laughs> Charlie McCarthy stuff, even though I'd seen a lot of it before. Pro- definitely a worthwhile and I'm sure pursuit. Yeah. It totally holds up. And one of the amazing things about it is that, like, Charlie is really, not in this movie, but he's, like, really dirty uh-huh. and really edgy. <laughs> and he could get away with saying a lot of stuff nobody else could say at the time. And I think part of it is that the Edgar Bergen character mm-hmm. is so nice and sweet. And so, like, oh, Charlie, no, you know, yeah. oh, we're, like... Nice old man, nice old man. That you do forget that, like, and he's also the brat. <laughs> I mean, he's also yes. this mean, and it's such a good balance. Uh-huh, it, uh-huh. And so much of it is so funny, and I think he's great in this. Yeah. I kind of don't care for Mortimer as much, but I think his Charlotte McCarthy stuff totally holds up. Yep. So, of course, Jiminy invites himself to this party across the street with Edgar Bergen. Which is a very odd sort of a birthday party. It's very strange. If your little girl's having a birthday and for her birthday, she goes to visit the man with the puppets across the street. If you open the door and it's a little girl's, it's your little girl's birthday party and you're going to leave her at this home alone for a few hours and it's an old man with three puppets sitting on the couch like they're people, you gotta leave. I, I don't know that you would say he's old, but um, a That's grown true. He's man. Not that, he's a grown He's not man. that old now. No. He's not that old in this movie. No. But yeah, it's a little weird. But uh, of course, don't actually think about it don't that think way. About We're it. just having fun. Exactly. We're having fun. Especially because this is the funniest, best part of the movie. Absolutely. And he's doing a very creepy hand puppet that's like covered in black paint. <laughs> Ophelia. Don't like it. They settle down for a bit, and Edgar's like, you know, what should we do next? And this was my first huge laugh from Charlie, which is, go down to the dump and watch me slug rats. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, actually, I, I would like to see that ventriloquist dummy, Charlie McCarthy. <laughs> would love to see you go down to the dump and slug rats. Yeah. Like, that's an activity. <laughs> yeah. And I do think... Charlie injects some much-needed cynicism mm-hmm. into this movie mm-hmm. and into this story. Like, that might just be me. Obviously, I am a fairly cynical person. <laughs> I think that comes through on this show. But after the whole, you know, oh, fun and fancy-free and never think about anything, and here's Bongo, and it's totally boring. Uh-huh. Having someone, you know... Be snarky. Yes, yeah, snarky and mocking the movie a little bit. It, it's such a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I can't remember who suggests um, that Edgar Bergen should tell a story. Does he suggest it or? I think so. Him or the little girl. Anyway, he's going to tell a story. Mortimer tries to imagine some animation and he gets tired doing. All the imagination is animation. Yes. 
So then, of course, Luana can imagine it. And as Edgar Bergen is describing Happy Valley, Luana is imagining it. Or is it Luana? I can't remember how they said her name in the movie. It's... Eh, whatever. And the animation is filling in as Bergen is describing it, which, of course, is quite enjoyable. It's very basic valley, and it just fills up with things. And this segment was actually recorded with Sterling Holloway being the narrator first. (laughs) And it's interesting to view, because in its final product, it feels so much like, you know, Edgar Bergen's thing. Yeah. It's funny to think that it wasn't actually animated for him as much. Yeah. Because there's, you know, a lot of, uh, we talk about how this is a classic Disney bit of like the narrator being at odds with the story. Mm -hmm. There's stuff like that here where, you know, they're imagining it at first and Mortimer's like a big red barn. And he's like, no, a castle. So the barn appears and then disappears and it's a castle. And then we have the My What a Happy Day song. This is a good song. Happy Valley is Happy Valley because there's a magic harp that lives in the castle. And when it sings, it makes the valley prosperous. And it makes reused crow animation from Dumbo appear. (laughs) Yeah, just a little piece of it, but yeah. I mean, there is stolen and reused animation all over this thing. We were debating Uh whether or not there's like Bambi stuff in Bongo and there probably is. Yeah, because there's some quails that we were like, are those quails the same quails? The crows dancing, I think, is the most blatant use. But definitely there's some little things like that. But then a shadow appears. Oh no. And the harp is stolen. Ah! Now it's gruesome gulch. <laughs> exactly. Just, uh, I didn't write down all of them, but Charlie's lines basically all work for me. Yes, they it's were very so funny. funny. Again, I, I think it just shows how enduring this character actually is and how good he was at the act at this point. I also wrote down gruesome gulch. <laughs> It's And I was thinking about it, it's so strange that <laughs> this land that had a river and everything, apparently the harp just came to some rando desert and sang <laughs> up a beautiful valley because as soon as the harp is gone, everything dies. <laughs> See, I said I would have been interested in seeing the full movie, and there's stuff that would have been interesting to see, but I also appreciate that it's like, you know what Jack and the Beanstalk is. Right. We, we don't really care about telling you the story. We don't even show, you know, jumping ahead a bit. We don't even show, like, Mickey trading the cow for the magic beans. Yeah. It's just like, you know what you're watching. Right. We're just going to have fun with it. Yeah. Just freestyle, baby. It's like jazz. It's like make my music. <laughs> yep. It's a good one. Mickey, Donald, and Goofy are here. They are poor farmers. Three humble peasants. I feel like I've seen this sequence a lot. I feel like it's one of the more iconic sequences from this, which is the most depressing dinner in the entire world. Right. Mickey is slicing the bread paper thin so that you can actually see through it. It's that thin. And each yes. each person gets two slices of paper thin bread and a tiny slice of a single bean to put in the bread to make a sandwich. <laughs> they each get a third of a bean. <laughs> Inside paper thin pieces of bread because they are starving to death. Have they lost hope? Yes. yes. <laughs> and Donald can't take it anymore. He loses it. He tries to eat the plates and the knives and the forks. And they're like, stop, stop. And even though the animation here suffers from the problems the animation of the whole movie has, flat colors, often very muddy, mm-hmm. 
which kind of works for this part where it's supposed to be sad and depressing, yeah. but you know, it's the whole thing. It's it's a pretty ugly movie, I would say. Mm-hmm. But Mickey Donald and Goofy have such great facial expressions yes. and this whole sequence is so funny and part of that might be that they started it you know before this movie was ever going to come out mm-hmm. they had 50 minutes of animation they pared down but part of it is also these are the animators working to their strengths mm-hmm. like this bongo thing it's some new character nobody cares about him <laughs> mickey donald and goofy like if you're making a movie just to play the hits and make me happy play the hits right and this is the hits definitely so then of course donald sees the an axe and he's gonna go and kill the cow for food and they're like no no you can't kill the cow and then there's a brief live action sequence where charlie is like yeah totally kill the cow <laughs> He's so bloodthirsty. He keeps it, he makes it his mission after this to get someone killed in the story, yeah. which is what I'm talking about. About like you think about oh Edgar Bergen, he's like this wholesome entertainer. No, like Charlie McCarthy is dark yeah. in a way I really appreciate. Yeah, and yeah, in in this live action section, he frankly makes a good case of like it's a cow, you kill it, you eat it. Yes, and the little girl has to be like, no, the cow is their friend, and I'm like is it i mean it's cow (laughs) if i'm having trouble with food and i have a food animal on hand i mean yeah it's true this is this is the same as the bambi conversation (laughs) we just don't care about animals (laughs) so then he's like no they're gonna sell the cow for money and then they can buy food and this is the second most memorable song in the movie turkey lobster sweet potato pie pancakes piled up till till they they reach the sky. sky Yes, Eat Until I Die song. Does Is it actually credited as a song? It is, Eat That's Until funny. I Die. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm gonna eat and eat and eat and eat and eat until I die. Uh, maybe I should have done that. I'm gonna pot and pot and pot and pot and cast until I die. <laughs> That's a good Would've one. Would have been better. Yeah. Too late now. Too late now. And then, of course, Mickey comes in as they're finishing up the song and goes, Beans! And they're like, what do you mean, Beans. What the heck, Mickey, you let the whole team down on this one. (laughs) And he's like, I sold the cow for some magic beans. And Donald, of course, Mm -hmm. loses his mind. He's like, they're magic. You plant them under the light of a full moon. And I forget what's supposed to happen, but amazing things. Well, the joke is, and you know what happens next? Oh, yeah. And Donald goes, yeah, we get more beans. (laughs) Yes. I'm sorry. He goes, yeah, we get more beans. (laughs) Ah, oh, the bad Donald Duck impressions. They never end. And they don't eat that that's the thing again. They don't even bother telling you Mickey never finishes his thought. It's they don't true. tell you what's supposed to happen, because again, it's Jagged Beans stuff. It's true. You, you don't need to wonder. So the beans get thrown into a hole under the floor, and of course the moon light manages to shine down there. And so then there's a nice long sequence of the beanstalk growing while they're asleep. And them, you know, almost falling, but getting picked up. There's some butt jokes in yeah, here. For lots sure. of funny housebreaking business. And then they wake up and everything is huge. Castle in the clouds, where everything is gigantic. And uh, Donald gets into a fight with a big dragon. Well, he, he mocks a huge dragonfly. It's true. And then the huge dragonfly is like, I can and will destroy you uh-huh, now. Uh-huh. They're only saved at the last moment by a fish that jumps up and eats the dragonfly. There's always a bigger fish. (laughs) They're just following the rules here. These characters are established so well. Like, Donald always makes his own trouble. 
Not much going on with Goofy yet, but that's coming. That's that's basically the next thing. I mean, they work together to climb the huge stairs of the huge castle. Yes. And then it's Goofy and Jello. It is Goofy losing his hat on some Jello and trying to get his hat back. There's a big old sequence of Goofy on the Jello, which is great. It's just great physical comedy, even though it isn't actually. Yes. Very much Goofy. Exactly the sort of thing he gets up to. And then they discover that the harp is trapped. Yes, the harp. She tells them she was kidnapped by a giant. And we're back to live action where Charlie is acting like a giant. <laughs> yes. Or what he thinks is acting like a giant, which appears to be acting like a mustached pirate. I guess. And I really love Edgar Bergen just being like, now what do you think you're doing here? I don't remember what exactly <laughs> he says, but it's such a, it's a reprimand, not even of like, you shouldn't be doing this, of just like, come on, man. Yep. Yep. This is weak. <laughs> <laughs> then we get the shadow puppets. He's going to do, he is doing shadow puppets to try to show what the, uh, what the giant looks like. The giant comes in. Then we're back to the animation singing the fee fi fo fum song. It's Willie the Giant. Yep. Who showed up in other stuff after this, right? Yeah, he was in Mickey's Christmas Carol as the ghost of Christmas present. Plus he was also in a bunch of the like House of Mouse stuff and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking it up now. He cameos in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He was on the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse series. Yep. He's around. He's doing stuff. Yep. So then Willie sits down to eat and, of course, you know, is very nearly catching our three heroes until he en ends up with Mickey in a sandwich, manages to trick him into, you know, talking to him instead of just squishing him. <laughs> and this whole time, Charlie McCarthy is trying to tell the giant where Mickey, Donald, yeah. and Goofy are again. He has made it his mission to get someone killed in this story. Yeah. Charlie McCarthy doesn't care if Mickey Mouse is a beloved <laughs> children's <laughs> character for the studio he's currently working for. He will try to kill him. Yep. Oh, so we forgot to mention, of course, that the Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum song describes Willie is singing about his magical powers and the things he can do with the magic words mm -hmm. he's also singing about how he's the most amazing guy which is correct yes most amazing guy am i but he can do all these things and so mickey was apparently listening to the song and is like so can you really change into anything and willie's like yes of course and mickey's like what about a fly because he sees a fly swatter and so he agrees to be a fly but then he turns into a pink bunny he's like you sure you don't want to hey wait a minute because they're holding it's the fly swatter <laughs> It's a, I like that that doesn't work. Yeah. That's just, it's, look, is this a, like, masterpiece of cinema? No. But it's just trying to be funny and it succeeds. Yes. I don't even know what Bongo is trying to be. Is it <laughs> supposed to be funny? Is it supposed to be genuinely romantic? I don't know. That is hard to say. It's hard to say what its exact purpose is. It just feels like what it is, Bongo, which is something that's completely undeveloped. Mm. Like, they hadn't figured out what the thing was. They just had some animation they needed to get rid of. <laughs> Whereas Mickey and the Beanstalk is clearly a focused piece of comedy. Right. Definitely. So, of course, Willie catches them all and goes and locks them up in the box where the harp was when he takes out the harp to sing him to sleep. Mickey manages to sneak out the side before it gets shut because, you know, he's they're all our heroes, but he's the best one. Right. <laughs> You don't really want to, you know, Life of Happy Valley in the hands of Donald and Goofy. Correct. Definitely in the hands of Mickey. So yeah, the harp then sings the giant to sleep with the song In My Favorite Dream. I knew I had it written down. <laughs> I don't even remember this song. I remember this scene, but in I mean. In my favorite dream. I don't remember all the words. <laughs> 
Except for then later she goes, in his right breast pocket you'll find the key. The right breast pocket, go carefully. <laughs> you know, you're you're you are correct. But your your stirring rendition of something something, I don't remember all the words, na 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 watermelon, watermelon really commit you know, you put me in my place. This is a very memorable song. <laughs> I've also probably seen this short way more times than you. Mm -hmm. And you could remember nearly four lines (laughs) of this very pivotal song. Right. I'm just saying. Right. Sweet potato pie. (laughs) Pancakes piled up till they reach the sky. Yes. Change it to a fly. (laughs) Giant's gonna die. (laughs) Yeah, this is Mickey on a piece of thread trying to get the key. And I feel like this is also an iconic piece of animation, the thread scene. Yes. Where he sneaks down to the pocket to get the key. Has an accident with snuff, almost gets caught. Yes, and this is... <laughs> this is like what everybody was waiting for yeah. when they saw that Billy Gilbert was in this movie. Because again, <laughs> he was sneezy and he was a vaudeville performer whose deal was sneezing funny. Yes. So this bit with the snuff box and the big sneeze is like a showcase moment. It's funny because he appears to have multiple types of sneezes too right because this well it's his it's his craft mother this isn't the exact same way that sneezy sneezes in snow white um it's different because this one i mean it has a lot of the same big buildup, but then it's a tiny little sneeze at the end after this gigantic build-up whereas well the man was an artist he was apparently he was an artist at his sneezing craft we will never see his like again (laughs) i just or hear his like again Imagine you're going to vaudeville and it's like, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're going to get Edgar Bergen. Sometimes you're going to get the Marx Brothers workshopping their craft. And sometimes it's going to be Sneeze Guy. <laughs> like, oh, no, today it's Sneeze Guy. Well, the nice thing is with vaudeville, they had several acts and nights. So you might not, you wouldn't just have Sneeze Guy and then have to go home, you know. <laughs> That's true. Also, again, Billy Gilbert was an amazing comedic talent who is really good in this movie, and I shouldn't make fun of him, but also Sneeze Guy. It's true. Mickey does get the key back and lets out Donald and Goofy, and of course they're going to rescue the harp. As Donald and Goofy run off with the harp, Mickey decides he's going to tie Willie's shoelaces together to slow him down. And then Willie wakes up, mainly probably because the harp stopped singing. Right. So then it's a race, of course, a race and a chase with them running down the beanstalk. Willie's coming after them. There's no talking here or sound, really. I mean, there's a little I mean, there's sound, like but music. mostly it's all music. Yeah, yeah. that's what it's going to say. Mostly it's all music. And that's really fun. Yeah. That's, you know, the best tradition of this kind of short chase music. Of course, Goofy and Donald get down first and they start sawing the beanstalk off at the bottom um amazing that they had such a giant saw as poor peasants but (laughs) of course when mickey gets down and helps with the cutting then donald gets sucked and squished into there because you know you got to have another visual gag with donald (laughs) and so then they chop down the beanstalk and willie falls to his doom yep presumably because you don't actually get to see it and then they all live happily ever after and i have to say i'm like I was kind of surprised. I mean, I know it's how the story goes, mm-hmm. but I was like, that Willie got got. He's friendly and he's funny. Uh-huh. 
And he's doing this because he needs the magic harp to lullaby him to sleep, which, <laughs> yeah, you know, he did it at the expense of an entire valley. Yeah. But it's not, he doesn't have a lot of malice to him. It's yes. not even seemingly clear. He may not even know what happened to Happy Valley. Yeah. Guy just needed some, like, melatonin or something. <laughs> something to put him to sleep. And so then, in this next live action sequence, Mortimer is sad that Willie died. Yeah. And I was like, I kind of get it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He was the best character. <laughs> and Edgar Bergen is telling him, it's okay. Willie was only a figment of your imagination. You know, you don't need to be sad that he died. He's not real. Not quite remembering how this ending played out. I thought that he was going to be like, you know, oh, no, Willie didn't die. He's actually okay. Instead, he's like, no, he's dead. And it's good that he is dead. <laughs> no, more he's like... He he's not, he wasn't ever really alive, so he can't possibly be dead. <laughs> right, but he was definitively killed in that story. Yes, like I thought yes. maybe he'd try to soften the blow, but nope. No. And then the roof is lifted off the house as Willie looks in and asks if anybody's seen a little mouse. Yes, has anybody seen a tiny little mouse? Edgar Bergen faints, but Mortimer's totally unfazed. Totally unfazed, and uh, it's good. It is, and then. It, the movie ends with Willie wandering off through an animated Hollywood, looking for Mickey, taking the Brown Derby restaurant, putting it on his head for a hat. Right, which was a real restaurant. Yes. And there's one last repeat of the title song. Yep. The end. The end, indeed. Let me hit you with some sequels, spinoffs, remakes, rides, and reboots. <laughs> Basically nothing. You tell me what you found, and I'll hit you with what I found, because I, I went on a rabbit trail myself and discovered a few things. So, I mean, if you want, I can go first. <laughs> no, I like that. To my knowledge, there were no real spinoffs of Bongo or any follow-up stuff. I mean, there was a little golden book, as mm -hmm. mentioned, where they're friends, but like... Bongo was seen as too mature at the time, and also nobody cared about it, and nobody cares about it now. <laughs> so, like, Bongo, R.I.P., never to be seen again. <laughs> Uh, Mickey and the Beanstalk gets mentioned in a few more places. It appears in this video game, Mickey Mania, The Timeless Adventures of Mickey Mouse, which is a terrible Sega Genesis game. <laughs> There's a level in Epic Mickey based around Mickey and the Beanstalk. Again, I don't really like Epic Mickey, <laughs> but the main thing I have to talk about is all of the different versions of Mickey and the Beanstalk, because yeah. sensing that this was the clear hit here, they re-released it several times yeah I, I was thinking mickey and the beanstalk is practically its own spin-off of its own movie exactly and i'm not going to go through all of these but there is a version narrated by sterling holloway as mentioned yep. um that also alters the ending scene where willie instead of lifting up the roof of edgar bergen's house lifts up the roof of disney studios asking walt disney if he's seen a little mouse <laughs> so that's fun that aired on tv a bunch of times i think the sterling holloway version is the one that i'm most familiar with because when i was reading through that was describing the different versions having different cuts or whatever. But I feel like the one I'm familiar with didn't have anything cut out so much as the different narrator. So I think the Sterling Holloway version is the one I've seen the most. And I would like to find it and watch it again to see if I'm right. Yeah, the Sterling Holloway version has a lot of different stuff, including what's mentioned. Yeah. It also cuts out the opening uh, Happy Valley the opening sequence where they're developing Happy Valley, so the bit with the barn, 
is actually not in the Sterling Holloway yeah, version. And I can believe that because the visualizing of Happy Valley coming into existence does not feel as familiar to me. But I mean, starting with that scene of Happy Valley and then the song, um, that's definitely a little more familiar. And I have to say, it's disappointing a little bit that Sterling Holloway is not in this movie. He's been in the last four movies in a row, and I've it's been great. <laughs> He's not in this one. It's a little disappointing, but I get it. Yeah. Then there is a version hosted by Ludwig von Drake. Yes. I think I've seen that one also, but I think I I don't think I've seen it as many times. How do you explain Ludwig von Drake if any of our listeners don't know who he is? Well, he's one of the many ducks that there are in the cartoons, <laughs> the Disney cartoons. Um, he's a scientist. He's the scientist duck, is how I always think of him as, um, kind of. Mm-hmm. He's not just a scientist, but like a professor, Professor Von Drake. Yes. So he does like classes and teachings and lectures and yeah, I think he's he's things. in a lot of shorts. Yeah, he's basically. in shorts, and he also they also tended to use him on things as a narrator, not just for this, but there were other shorts. Or compilations, they would take a bunch of pieces of things and put them together with Ludwig von Drake as the tying the whole bit together, and then they've got a new special, right? Yes. And so specifically, there was an episode of Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, aired in 1963, in which Ludwig von Drake and Herman the Boodle Beetle, who I don't think I've ever heard (laughs) of. I don't know that I've seen this version, to be honest. I think I have, because the Herman the Boodle Beetle sounded familiar. But I don't think I've seen it as many times as the other one. And I think it's pretty close to the same with Herman being the sidekick Charlie McCarthy-ish character and then Ludwig doing the main narration. Mm -hmm. And then the third version is narrated by Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop in a 1973 episode of The Mouse Factory. (laughs) I don't know what any of that is. I don't know who those people are. You don't know who Lamb Chop is? No, who's Lamb Chop? It's it's another ventriloquist sort of thing. Sherry Lewis had a puppet called Lamb Chop, and she was a ventriloquist of later times, you know, in the 70s, who had show. And I didn't realize that she ever did a version of this. Yeah, I've never heard of this person, but I'm seeing now, you know, she was on Captain Kangaroo. She did a bunch of stuff. She was in a bunch of stuff. She was very popular in Lamb Chop. And those are basically the three main versions, Mm -hmm. um, with the Ludwig von Drake and Sherry Lewis versions being very close to the original, with Charlie McCarthy and Edgar Bergen's dialogue being given to those Uh people and changed somewhat. And then the Sterling Holloway version is very different because he doesn't have a sidekick. But I think he still makes some of the sarcastic comments himself. (laughs) That's very possible. But the point is, this has been re-released a ton of times as a standalone thing or with other small shorts. And so you'll... If if you grew up watching Disney stuff, you've probably seen it somewhere, even if you haven't seen this movie. Yeah. That's really all I had to talk about. So what else did you find? By going deep into some of the information on the characters from Bongo, I found out that Bongo and Lulubelle used to be characters you could meet at the park. So, you know, people walking around in the costumes. What? Until the 90s. Until the 90s, you could meet Bongo and Lulubelle in the Disney parks. Where? <laughs> what? <laughs> You know, just how there's characters roaming around the park. They would presumably be... No, I I understand. In, like, Fantasyland or um, Bear Country or whatever it was called back then, um, uh, Frontierland or whatever. How did I not 
How was I unable to find this? Did you? Oh, dear. These costumes are rotten. (laughs) Yeah. You can look up Bongo Disney Parks, and let me tell you, the mascot costumes were not ready for Bongo. (laughs) I don't know what's going on here. They do not look all right. Yeah. That's that's wild. Isn't that funny? Who who would want to see who's like, oh, yes, Bongo. I know who that is and care about it. <laughs> that's funny. Did you ever see uh, Bongo and Lulu Bell at the parks? You who went to the parks before the 90s? I do not recall them? seeing them. They would not have been characters I cared that much about. So uh, they weren't anybody I remembered greatly. Um, however, I did also find you can see Lumpjaw in the park now on a poster. Let me send it to you. I'm excited. Okay, so the poster here, it's clearly a much later style of animation. There is a ride in the new Fantasyland, the storybook circus area of Fantasyland in the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. There's a ride called the Barnstormer with the Great Goofini, and there are. This is a poster from the queue. I wanna, I wanna read this poster. So it says Bear Rasselin. Uh huh. And there's a big picture of Lumpjaw in a tank top. Uh huh. Very low cut tank top. He's punching the word Rasselin and shattering it. Of course. It and stomping on Goofy's neck. Uh huh. And it says heart stopping. The world's greatest grappler. <laughs> and there's also a monkey referee. I don't know if the monkey referee is from something. I don't think so, but uh, I'm pretty sure that the idea of this ride is, you know, Goofy's supposed to be all this wonderful stuff. And of course, the pictures indicate he's not at that as good at it as he thinks he is or something. I don't know. But it's how Goofy is. He's going to demonstrate re- wrestling. He's going to do bad at it. <laughs> right. No, this is great. I love, you know, that's one of the nice things about the Disney parks is that like, even if something doesn't matter enough to actually get featured, that there's like these Easter eggs. It's a very random Easter egg. (laughs) He's still in a picture at the park now. That's great. That's great. That's much better than the creepy bongo costumes, both in terms of execution. It's very funny. And in terms of this is the level of representation this short deserves at the park. And to represent Mickey and the Beanstalk at the parks, also in Fantasyland, there is a shop called Sir Mickey's. That's, you know, just a store that you can buy things in that is based on Mickey and the Beanstalk. It has a picture of Happy Valley over one of the exits. Willie the Giant is lifting up the roof and peeking in. There's, you know, Beanstalk decor around inside and Mickey dressed, you know, in his peasant outfit and Minnie looking like the princess. So in that way, it almost feels like it's a cross between Brave Little Taylor and Making the Beanstalk, which, to be honest, yeah. Brave Little Taylor and Making the Beanstalk have a lot of similarities. <laughs> yeah, you can kind of throw Prince and the Pauper in there, too. Yeah, I thought that was funny that there actually are a few references to them in the park. Not rides exactly, but... You can find it if you know what you're looking for. I appreciate that. So I appreciate that. I found that. that just for you. Thank you for picking up the slack. <laughs> yeah, I had to dig pretty deep. <laughs> <laughs> for the bear wrestling poster yep. in front of the great Goofini. Yep. And this pandemic's over and we get to go to Disney again sometime. We'll take a picture of ourselves in front of 
that poster. Exactly. No other pictures of our time <laughs> at Disney. I don't think we even, I, I'm pretty sure we didn't even ride that ride when we were at Walt Disney World the last time, even though it would have been there, because those are the like really little kid rides <laughs> in Fantasyland. Oh, yeah. No. And so I, I remember there was, there was a whole area in the new fantasy land that we were like, yeah, we're all too tall for these. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to get in line, stand in front of that poster and exactly. leave. And like security's going to be watching us. <laughs> and we'll be like, no, no, we're just lump jaw fans. And they're like, I don't know who that is, sir. Oh uh, yeah. You're going to Disney prison. <laughs> Understandable. Take me away. Okay. So I was going to say that's the end of the show, but I forgot. That- <laughs> Almost. We we rate these movies not by giving them a numerical rating, but by asking each other two questions. The first of which is, would you recommend this movie? The second half, yes. <laughs> I think if I was recommending this movie, I would qualify it by saying, the first half of the bongo part is not as good, but, you know, either stick it out or fast forward through to the Mickey and the Beanstalk stuff and the Edgar Bergen stuff before that, because that stuff's all great. It's a lot of fun. Definitely worth a watch. I enjoyed that part quite a bit. I would not recommend this movie. It is brutally dull <laughs> for the for the first half. I mean, I agree with you. The thing is, there are so many other ways to watch Mickey and the Beanstalk. Yeah. It feels like there's no reason to watch this movie. That makes sense. I do recommend, if you were in the situation that I was in and having maybe not seen the Edgar Bergen version, mm-hmm. if you've only seen the more common Sterling Holloway and Ludwig von Drake versions... It's definitely worth, you know, the Edgar Bergen stuff does add so much to it. Charlie McCarthy's sass is so funny. Um, But I'm sure there's somewhere you can see that other than this (laughs) pretty awful movie. (laughs) I would not recommend it, I'm sorry to say. That's fine. It's understandable. But would you show this to a child? And did you show this to your children? I know I showed it to you guys at some point. I do not remember how old you were. But so would I show it to a child? I probably wouldn't show it to a very young child. Because as you said, you just know you and your brother would totally have used it as an excuse to slap each other. I completely believe it. So, you know, the first part, especially holding off a bit until you can explain. No, (laughs) no slapping. (laughs) Slapping is not good. Doesn't mean you love each other. No, but the, obviously the Mickey and the Beanstalk part, I would show that to a child anytime. It's just fun. Yeah, it, like totally Mickey and the Beanstalk. Recommend, show it to a child. There's really no question yep. there. With the first part, I just foresee kids getting bored. Mm-hmm. I just feel like that would be a movie where kids stop, like the bongo stuff, kids will just stop paying attention to it and like... They'll either be playing with toys or something, or they'll get in trouble. <laughs> and as you say, the, you know, when they're bored and then you're like slapping, <laughs> I agree with you. I could see that being a real bad recipe for something. <laughs> yeah. And then you can't even watch the the good part because you've already been sent upstairs and like you're in trouble now. <laughs> it's true. Um. So no, wouldn't, wouldn't really recommend this to anyone. Mm. A lot of people just like dump on the whole wartime era and we're not trying to do that. But this one is exhausting. It's kind of a low point. It's a low point for sure, I think. So that's going to do it for me, Mom and the Mouse. If you liked the show, please come back next time for Melody Time, which came out the very next year. What do you think of that movie, Mom? Uh, kind of make my music take two. <laughs> yep, I'm thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> Shorts hell rolls onward. But at least it's just shorts.
Yes, that's not true. mediums. More shorts. It's not just two mediums. So hopefully, I don't know if I've seen Melody Time. I'm sure I know I've seen parts of Melody Time, but I don't know if I've sat down and yep. watched it. It'll be interesting to see. But we're so close. We're so close. We just two more of these, <laughs> and then we can watch real movies with plots and characters. Yeah. And- the whole thing. We're almost through. Until then, I'm me. I'm mom. And it all started with a mouse. Mouse.